Troy Robert Galloway was a 34-year-old from Sonora, California. He was a Marine and dedicated father. On January 13, 2016, he and his wife got into an argument about him relapsing into drug use, although to this day there is no proof of that. She claims he then stormed out into the cold night, not taking their car. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Nemo residio. Have you heard the phrase? It's Latin. Its English translation is no man left behind. The phrase is as old as warfare itself, going back to ancient Greece. Today, various military branches use this motto, including the United States Marine Corps' Personnel Retrieval and Processing Company, the team charged with retrieving the remains of fallen service members from the battlefield. These words are the very reason here in the United States, for example, our government tries to still find missing service members in Afghanistan, Iraq, Vietnam, Korea, and Europe. And many of you, I'm sure, have seen the POW MIA flag. With missing persons, I wish our local governments had the same attitude that the military branches do. That no man or woman who has disappeared should ever be left behind. The person should never be forgotten, and we should certainly never give up looking for them. Instead, it feels like law enforcement lives by the Latin phrase multi-residio, meaning many get left behind. So in this episode, let's all become United States Marines. Fitting since last Saturday was Veterans Day. And yes, I'm including all of you listeners outside the U.S. as well. Let's see if we can be our own retrieval unit and bring Marine Troy Galloway back to his family. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by MissingVeterans.com. Troy met his wife Kelsey in rehab in Santa Cruz, California in 2013. They got married on Valentine's Day 2015 and had a daughter that summer. Months before his disappearance and much to his family's surprise, Troy, his wife and daughter, moved from the coast to three hours inland to Sonora, California to be closer to Kelsey's family, who lived about 45 minutes away from that city. In the month before his disappearance, Troy was having doubts about the move. He revealed that he and his family were staying at Kelsey's parents for weeks at a time, something that wasn't part of the plan of moving to the Sonora area. He also felt out of his element considering that the new town was so much smaller than Santa Cruz. On January 13, 2013, Kelsey allegedly caught Troy relapsing into heroin use, an addiction everyone believed Troy had beaten years before. During an argument about this, Troy allegedly ran out of the house without a jacket and not taking the family car. A while later, Kelsey received a call from Troy's cell phone, but all she could hear on the other end was moaning and groaning. Troy was never seen again. Troy had been a Marine starting in 2000. However, he was honorably discharged in 2003 after being diagnosed with a mental illness that could come in conflict with his military duties. After that, he descended into heroin addiction 
but it is believed he was clean and sober at the time of his disappearance and no drugs were found in his home when the police began their investigation. There have been no sightings of Troy since January 2016. His case remains unsolved. The interview for this episode is with his mother, Nancy Galloway. Unfound News. I wish I could say more about it right at this second on November 17, 2017, but I can't. However, Unfound was offered a great opportunity within the last week. As you know, I consider this podcast to be a news program, not an entertainment one. I am a reporter, not an opinion maker or giver. Well, Unfound will soon be playing on a distinguished news site and will be part of an experienced news team. I'm relishing the chance to work with experienced news people and bringing missing persons cases to an audience that may not be familiar with podcasts and podcasting. As some of you know, my goal for Unfound has always been for it to be everywhere. The internet, media sites, radio, TV, Mars, Alpha Centauri, wherever. Why? Because that is what is going to get these cases solved. This is the first step in that process. And I'm very excited about the goals we're going to set and reach. Most importantly, Unfound will not be changing. The podcast will be as it always has. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Except that I'll have to change the music. Next, I need to thank Stalianos for his recent contribution. I discovered he's a local Tampa resident like I am. Thank you, Stylianos. I haven't been talking much about Patreon and PayPal because I've been very busy with the books that are out now, the books that come out at the end of the month, the playing cards that are on the way, and multitude of phone conversations I've had with future guests. I think I've spent more time on the phone in the last week than I have in my entire life. But Patreon and PayPal are there if you'd like to support what Unfound is doing. Any contribution is appreciated. Finally... I wonder how many of you caught friend of the program Detective Kenneth Maines on the History Channel. He was one of the investigators included on their Zodiac Killer program that we'll be playing for the next few weeks. Since I don't have cable or dish, I didn't get to watch it, but I will try to find it somewhere online. I'm sure he did a great job, and I wish him all the luck in the world with the show. Where you can find Unfound, and this list will be expanding very shortly within the next few days. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, and Overcast. Email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. Please check out the secret Stephen Kocher episode. Amazon.com, volume one in both ebook and print form. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the mother of Troy Galloway, Nancy Galloway. Nancy, welcome to Unfound. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Tell the listeners a little bit about Troy as a child, raising him in his maybe preteen years. Well, Troy was a really good baby. He was a little, sweet little toddler. But when he was um, probably in kindergarten or first grade, they uh, diagnosed him with a learning disability. So that was one thing that he, when he was little, he loved being in the small classes, but he 
um, just as soon as he got into middle school, he was so embarrassed about it. So um, he was an artist. He loved to draw. He liked to write. And um, he played baseball in the Little League for several years. So pretty much he he was a good little kid. What kind of learning disability was this? And uh, did he overcome it as he got into uh, maybe junior high school or what went on there? Well, they did it. Yeah, well, what they do is that he wanted, he, they were going to mainstream him, which means they put him into regular classes at some point. I think he was around fourth grade or so. But he didn't want to go. <laughs> he wanted to stay with the small classes. So I thought, okay, that's good, you know, one-on-one. Um, but then when he... Um, he ended up getting mainstream in math. He was um, he was very good in math. He achieved quite well, and um, so he always went to the regular classes for math. But then when he got into middle school, he was still in the. They kept him in the the special ed classes. He had. Um, it's not like dyslexia. It's just that there was certain certain things, I think someone described it to me, that if you told Troy something, he doesn't necessarily process it, but if you show him, like they were saying something like on the field or a baseball game, if you told Troy, put, get down and put your hands on your knees, he wouldn't process it very quickly, but if you showed him what to do, he would process it. But he also had a high IQ, so that was the that was the very difficult part of him being in special classes and also having a high IQ. So I don't know. He was one of the people I worked with with him said he could do anything he wanted to do in life. And we sat there and talked about that with him when he was probably in sixth grade or so. You know, that makes some sense because uh, if anybody out there has taken an official IQ test, not one of these ones you find online, but the official like Mensa test, that they are very visual. They're very much with diagrams and shapes and circles and and patterns. And so it doesn't surprise me then that he probably did very well on that if he liked to be shown things and learned that way. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was Troy. Mm. So, and so he got into junior high school, and oh, what I happened there? I wanted to tell you something. I, I did want to tell you something about when he was eight years old. He had a teacher who was an artist, and she had the kids do these canvas board paintings. Troy did two of them, and he brought them home. And uh, I always would enter his artwork in the fair, the county fair. And so I looked at it. One of them was a a killer whale, and it really looked like a killer whale. It was really well done. The other one was an impressionistic painting, like a Monet painting of the lilies, or the lily pond, or something like that. Um, And it was well done, but I remember thinking, oh, I I hope he picks the killer well but he picked the Monet so I took it to the county fair and I um, showed it to the guy this is with my eight-year-old son he's but before I said that he said "Um, is this your painting and I said no this is my eight-year-old son's painting he goes well it's very well done and um, 
anyway, he won first place uh, against eight to eleven year olds. And oh my! The count, the county of Santa uh, Santa Cruz County bought the painting and put it in their uh, permanent art. Uh, exhibit that they have they move it around different places in the county and when when his choice son who he did have later um and i were walking through the county building we happened upon it one day so it was really cool i got to show him his dad's painting that's fantastic uh, the listeners yeah. show that this con- this story right here did not come up in my prior conversations with Nancy. I'm hearing it just like I know. all of you are. That's a fantastic story, Nancy. Wow. He must have been yeah. very talented. Wow. He was. He was very talented. And then when he was in middle school, he won first place again for some a uh, couple other paintings that he did that I, st- I still have. And I use them in my own art classes for my students. I show them. You know, I get you know use it as an example. So he took after his mother, huh? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Only he was better. He was much better. This guy saw colors so much better than I did, and he expressed them. So I was very proud of him. I'm sure you. I'm sure you are. Uh, so he gets older. Uh, he told me he continued. I guess he continued on his artwork, but. Junior high, high school, did he continue his interest in sports and, and other things? Or where did his interest lie, yeah. mainly once he got to be a teenager? Um, he really liked wrestling. Um, so that was one. And he did do uh, baseball for a while. Um, but he ended up going more into wrestling. And what, uh, what weight class did he wrestle at? You know... That's a good question. I don't even remember. Probably middle, I would think, or light weight. He was pretty tall then. So. Okay, so maybe like at 135 pounds, 130 pounds, something yeah. like that. Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So he was an artist on one hand, but he was a wrestler, which is the ultimate, I think, in one-on-one sports. Uh, on the other, right. you know, you have to be. I've known some wrestlers in my day, and they can be pretty intense individuals. So he wrestled, yeah. and he was an artist. That's quite a range for, of a personality. Yeah. Does Troy have any brothers and sisters? Yes, um, Troy has a brother who's about five and a half years older than him. His name's Strider, and he has a sister who's four years older than him, and her name is Yasha. They're very close, and then he has a younger brother who's ten years younger, and he uh, his name is Zachary. And how do they all get along? They oh gosh, they get along really well. Um, they love each other. When they were little, Strider and Yesha and Troy, before Zachary was born, were kind of like threesome. They like got along so well. As a parent, I used to, when I took care of them all together, I would just go, wow, this is great. You know, they just, love, they do love each other very much. And I'm sure they're, since beginning of 2016, they've been very concerned about Troy very, disappearing. Very. Yeah, very concerned. They've been very supportive of me, and they've helped as much as they can. And, you know, like, in even GoFundMe funds, they've both put in a lot of money and so they're just they're just really care 
and they really miss him. In middle school, I did um, find out that he was uh, drinking and smoking pot by one of his, one of the parents. I remember the day they called me and said, well, we found out our son, which was Troy's best friend, um, is drinking and using pot. And so we thought we should tell you. And from then on, we got Troy into outpatient um, counseling and and he did get in trouble a few times and he did, you know, wasn't able to wrestle because of those actions. Um, so that was kind of disappointing for him. And and then the recruiter came to the high school and Troy started working out with the recruiter um, like a couple times a week. He would take the boys or girls or boys um, and work with them at one of the parks and have them running and doing all kinds of stuff. So that's how I got interested in getting into the Marine Corps. Did that surprise you that he wanted to go into the Marines? It Well, it did because I was one of those people who really wasn't into the military, <laughs> but I am now, but I wasn't at the time, and um, I'm an old hippie. Um, so... But I was really, I really supported him. And I thought, wow, this is a whole different, this will probably be really good for him. Um, in fact, when he was in boot camp, he, you know, they couldn't smoke or anything for three months. So that was really good. It really, really helped him a lot. He just changed. He became a different person. Um, very, his posture was better. He was much more, his manners were better. He was really dedicated. Being that you knew he had gotten into a couple things in high school that maybe he shouldn't have, did it did it worry you that he might get into the Marines and things might not go well? Was that in in the back of your head, or did you did you did you, did you talk to him about that before he went, or or what? Uh, no, I I really just kind of observed, and um, I remember I was really when he was in boot camp, I just had a hard time sleeping and. I didn't just let go. I was like, you know, I was very worried because he was only 18. So, um, but I, yeah, I was very supportive of him and I didn't really, I thought, I really thought that the being in the Marine Corps, he would be, he would be much more away from drugs. I didn't really think about it that much. As far as I thought that would really kind of straighten him out. In fact, I went and added his, um, his graduation, I went and up to one of the um, drill sergeants and I said, hey, thank you for what you've done for my son. And he said, thank you for letting us have your son. So that changed my whole everything about the military. Just that one little conversation. I just thought, wow, that was cool. And the listeners should know we are conducting this interview on Veterans Day, November 11th, right. 2017. How convenient is that? I think that's appropriate. Yeah. Very appropriate. Well, I think Troy's dad was in the Marine Corps. Um, he was in Vietnam War. He was drafted. And he, um, I, I think that had a little bit to do with Troy's decision as well um, to show his dad, you know, some kind of, I don't know, support with him and, you know, just that he can do it too or, and, you know, so I think that was something he was proud of. And at, at the Marine Corps um, graduation, they asked everyone to stand up that were 
past Marines and a, whole, a lot of the people in the audience stood up. And I remember being really proud of just, wow, that's really cool because Troy Stout stood up. But, um, yeah. yeah, Troy was sent, um, after he got out of boot camp, he went to, uh, went to Camp Pendleton infantry training. And then they, when they sent him off to his job, they sent him to Washington, D.C. And he was an eighth, eighth and I, which is a barracks, uh, in Washington, D.C., where the, all the Marines who, you know, they do things like they march in parades and, uh, I was watching the the um, thing this morning with Vice President Pence giving the little speech and thinking, wow, that's what Troy was there on Veterans Day in 2000. And it just, I don't know, it made me feel really good. Like, that's really cool, you know, so... Yeah, that's a very special position that he would have had within the Marines to go to Washington, D.C. and do what he did. Well, I, t- I remember I talked to one of his sergeants from this area at one point, and I told him, yeah, Troy was sent over, one of his recruiters, actually, Troy was sent over to Washington, D.C. He goes, wow, that's a that's a big deal. I mean, he must be really good at what he does, you know, to get there, so... So he's in the Marines. Uh, we should know he, uh, that he enlisted in 2000, so this would have been before September 11th. Were there any concerns mm-hmm. for you as a mother with Troy once September 11th happened, if he was going to get sent overseas or anything like that? Did that come up while you were while he was oh, in? Oh, yeah, for sure. He, um, I, I was worried because the Pentagon got hit, and... Um, I, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen there. We didn't have any connection for a few days. So I was very worried about that. And then I remember before the um, 9-11, Troy had said to me, Mom, you know, I'm probably not going to be in war. And so then 2001 happened and they started, I think Troy had already been, um, he got an honorable discharge right before they started the war in Iraq. But, you know, they were sending people out on ships and all kinds of stuff, so we didn't know what was going to happen. You're very concerned. They send people out to the Persian Gulf um, even before the war started. They do, like, they send these ships out there every six months. They kind of rotate. So Troy was going to go out on one of those ships and I believe because of his drug use, he went AWOL right before they left. So then he got back in. They took him back, and so, but he didn't mm-hmm. make it on the ship. So. so you're saying that even though he was in Marines, some something happened that he kind of had a relapse into drugs while he was in the Marines, or or what happened there? Yeah. Um. Well, when he was in Washington D.C., he'd only been there. It was right as he came. I sent him out here on Thanksgiving, and he went back. So it was right at the beginning of uh, December. He calls me. December said, what year? December what year? Oh, I'm sorry, 2000. Okay. December 2000. He had just gotten, you know, he had been there for a little, about a month or two. And um, he called me and said, Mom, it's really cold here. And he said, I have to tell you, I've been hearing voices. And I went, Troy, you need to go to a doctor. You need to go talk to a doctor about that. 
And um, he said, no, Mom, if I do that, they're going to kick me out. And I said, I, you know, I was just a young guy. He, doesn't, he wanted to stay in. So I said, well, then you need to go talk to the chaplain because he won't. He won't, he'll help you. He won't tell anyone. And I didn't really know what to do. And then he flew back to California um, for a family event. And he was doing really well. You know, and then he went back. And right before he was going to march in the inauguration for President Bush. And right before that, he went AWOL. (laughs) And came back to California. So... You know, he has run away before, but he always contacts me, and he always comes to me. I mean, he it took him four days to get to my house because he took the train. But um, So that was the one thing that throughout Troy's life from there on, he always, even when he was high, Troy became a drug uh, heroin addict after he got out of the Marine Corps. And... Um, I believe, you know, when you have a mental illness and he was on medication, they did put him on medication. Um, but when you stop your medication or um, it's kind of a, it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say, except that it one helps the other one out. Like if you have a mental illness, then you want to use drugs to like help you. If you stop using your medication, then you, you know, it's kind of back and forth. So he got into that. That's one of the things that Troy had a really hard time with. He would relapse um, quite often, as would his dad. As a as um, his dad had, we all have. <laughs> our family has the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction. So it's in our family, and so I know a lot about it. Um, but anyway, that's. Um, one of the things that Troy fought, and then he'd get back on his feet, he'd do really well, he'd be in recovery. The recovering community here in Santa Cruz knows Troy very well. They're always asking me about him. How, you know, have you found him yet? You know, they're always, they're all there. They're all help me. They support me. And not only, you know, just with care and love, but they, you know, I have at least four people that are, in recovery that are helping me figure out how we can find Troy. If we could, let's talk about the Marines just for uh, uh, one more minute or so. Um, what did okay. he say when he got back to California? And I mean, I guess he just showed up on your door. He was AWOL. He shouldn't yeah. have been there. You know, why did he say he, he left? I mean, I know that maybe he had some, you know, mental issues going on at that time. Is that yeah. what he told you or he couldn't find help there or, or what did he say to you? Uh, you know, that's really, I just, I know part of it was the mental health and um, although he did eventually get into counseling and got medication while in the Marine Corps, um, but I think everything just, he didn't like it back there. He didn't like the cold. Um, he just felt pressured. Um so that's what he said. But he did go. I took him to the airport. We called his um, officers, and I took him to the airport, and he did go back. So, okay. And he, he went back for a certain... he needed a break. Okay. 
So he went back for a little while, but eventually in 2003, I believe it was, he did get honorably discharged because of yes. because of these problems he was having. Yes. Okay. Well, like I think they, you know, he, I think they finally got like tired of it, <laughs> I guess. Okay. And um, so they gave him a medical discharge. He was actually went over to the hospital at, at Balboa in San Diego. And so his, he did work there. I mean, he did jobs. They did, they had to do jobs while they were there, but they were still in the psych area. So like they had him giving tickets to people out in the parking lot and stuff like that. But, you know, he was, so they had him doing something, but he was also in the, you know, psychiatric ward. So, okay. So what do you do? So what do you do after he got out of the Marines? Oh, he got together with all his friends. He had a lot of friends, and he um, he hadn't when he first got back. He wasn't addicted to heroin yet. He, I'm sure, he smoked pot and drank and did all that, and with all his friends. And his best friend, um, he moved in with his best friend into a house right on the ocean. It was really great, um, but that's where he met someone down the street, I believe, um, who was a middle-class dealer and um, got him into heroin. So, um, but he worked as a carpenter. He did a lot of uh, construction jobs and he worked as a tow truck driver. Um, He didn't stay at jobs that long, maybe a couple years at the most. And then he would relax, he would get into recovery, did get into recovery again uh, at one point i don't remember exactly when it was but it was before 2006 he did get into recovery and then he actually left um when he started he got into he did a relapse and went to las vegas and lived there for a year with a friend who was a heroin addict with his friend's parents in fact Las Vegas was one of the places we thought he might go to if he was uh, on the run somewhere. Mm-hmm. After he disappeared in 2016, yeah. that's a place that you've looked at as a possibility. Oh, where yeah. Might... Okay. Yeah, put a lot of posters up there. Then in roughly 2011-2012, Troy met a girl. Why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little about Ellie? Yeah, he met Ellie, and it got along really well, and I met her, and I really liked her, and um, they ended up getting pregnant pretty quickly, and so their relationship became more of a partnership, and um, they lived together as she was pregnant, and they moved into an apartment, and um, they were doing really well. Um, Then Joshua came along on January 6th in 2012 and lovely lovely situation they're very good parents um and then eventually um with all the pressures of parenthood and just you know just things in the relationship i'm sure um they just drifted apart were you impressed with troy's parenting skills when he became a father oh yeah yes very much um joshua when he was born, he had an infection, so they put put him in NICU, which is a neonatal ICU, basically for a week. And he and Ellie would go 
to the hospital every single day and sit with them and um and I would go and and the other grandma and grandpa would go and in fact all of us were at the birth of Joshua uh Ellie asked me which I'm so grateful that she asked me to be at the the uh, birth and her mom was there and her dad and so it was very it was a good thing for us because it was very bonding for the grandparents because later on we needed to take care of Joshua a lot so it ended up being a really a really good thing so i very much appreciate that so troy was changing diapers and all that starting in 2012 yeah and he was was even taking the baby to the doctor just he would take the baby to the doctor so he loved it and i would go over there i would go over to the other grandma's house that's where they were living for a while before they got their apartment and i would um sit with and i babysit joshua there that's how close we were they live about a mile away from me so it's very convenient and um yeah he's great he's great dad with hope and great dad with joshua so but like you said um things didn't quite work out um right and and what year was that that maybe things kind of went the wrong way um uh, t- around 2013, mm-hmm. about halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. So they they had some good good time together. Um, but I really appreciate Ellie's relationship with me. It's a really good relationship. And she's been very supportive since Troy disappeared, hasn't she? she I mean, the listeners yeah, should know she, she is not a suspect. No one in her family or anybody is a suspect in Troy's disappearance at all. We should say that for the record. She's actually been very right. supportive. She posts things about Troy. You see her. You see your grandson. She's very supportive. Yeah. I saw her today, in fact. We, oh. I took Joshua over to a birthday party, and then she came, and we traded places. I went home. <laughs> but, you know, it was nice. I mean, we worked together really well. So, it's you know, she's she's always... She's. I think the thing that I like the most about our relationship is that she always has loved Troy. She's never, ever said anything bad about him. She's always respected him. In fact, she told her mom that Troy was always, no matter what, Troy was always a really good friend for her. So that really makes me feel good that she, and she's concerned about how, as I am, and as her mom, the other grandma, is very concerned about how Joshua really misses his dad. He talks about him all the time. And so she's really good about that, and she she wants to find Troy, you know, just like we all do. We just want to find Troy. It's just so unlike the way everything has happened. It's just so not like Troy, and it's so unlike him to be gone this long without any contact with anybody, you know. So, well, it's yeah. nice to hear that even though they didn't, the relationship didn't work out, and they had a son together, that they could maintain some type of relationship after they broke up, and even after Troy is gone, you know, she still is a part of your life, and you get to see your grandson, I guess, when you want. Yeah, well, I actually see him on a consistent basis every. Usually every Friday and Saturday, I, I take him. That's great. I take him overnight. We have a great relationship. But he, you know, he always says stuff about Troy. Like he'll go, 
did my dad drive a black truck? And I'll talk about him, you know, asking questions about him. So he's one of my big motivators, Joshua, to find his dad. Now there's a woman that we're going to talk a lot more about for the rest of this conversation, and her name is Kelsey. Who is she? How did she meet Troy? And what was their relationship? So they were friends. They were just friends for a couple of years. And then Troy split up with Ellie and probably another year went by. And Troy Troy maintained a friendship with Kelsey on the phone kind of a thing. And then um, they started, they got together. They started dating. And um, I do remember one thing. She, when Troy was living with me by that time, and um, he was, he just, you know, gotten things together, and he, I heard him on the phone with Kelsey, because um, he was walking around with, with the phone in his hand and talking to her, and I heard him say, no, I'm not ready for that, I don't want to do that, and then I said, then he hung up, and I said, what, you know, what was that, or something, and he said, well, they wanted me to go to this punk punk rock concert, and I don't think it would be a good place for me to go because it might trigger me. And so then a couple hours later, he goes, Mom, I'm going to go now. And I go, what? <laughs> Where are you going? He goes, oh, I'm going to go with Kelsey to this punk rock concert. So apparently she convinced him to go. And it always upset me because I felt like she didn't honor. She, you know, convinced him to go. And... So, I don't know. That's just her personality thing. So, you thought, he's telling you that he thought that he shouldn't go, but then his this new woman in his life, Kelsey, you know, doesn't respect his wishes and, you know, and says, oh, you should go. You should go anyway. Even though he's expressing yeah, that he yeah. shouldn't go, he's trying. she's trying to get him to go anyway. Right. Okay. So, that's when they started dating and... um and they, she got pregnant right away, the same as with Joshua. She got pregnant within a couple months. And um, and when was this? She, um, she must have gotten pregnant in September, and they, the concert was like in August so, um, because the baby was born June 2nd. So, I mean, if I go back nine months. We need, we need, to, use some, we need to use some years here. So... Um, she got pregnant September 2014 or no, 15, September 2014. Yeah, no, 14. No, 2014. 2014. Okay. 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they, she got pregnant and then they ended up moving in together and got an apartment and we worked on, they both lived here in Santa Cruz. We worked on him being able to see Joshua I arranged dinners together. We went to the beach. You know, we always had Joshua was very close to his dad. He loved his dad. Mm -hmm. So um, then um, they got married um, on February 14th of 2015. And it was a small wedding. It was on the beach. It was a beautiful wedding. Um, And um, I remember asking... Troy, well, how'd you pay for this? And he said that one of their friends, friend of the family, ended up paying for it because it was right at Del- Rio Del Mar Beach. Right, they they rented two condominiums there, and 
something that I think is a, a factor, could be a factor in his disappearance, is that um, he suddenly, he and this all happened, him meeting Kelsey, him um, being with Ellie, is all in the Santa Cruz area, kind of close to where you live even to this day. But at some point, yeah. uh, Troy and Kelsey just kind of picked up and went to Sonora pretty much, pretty much without telling you. What can you tell listeners all about how that happened? Well, they Troy mentioned that they were thinking about it, and I remember trying to argue with him, like, "No, you need to stay here. Joshua is here. You know, how are you going to do that? You know." And so I thought I had convinced him not to go. So I went over to Hawaii to be, visit my his older brother, and when I came back, they had already moved into their place in Sonora, and I was just kind of blindsided um but i accepted it and i did go up there a couple of times before the baby was born so i was really supportive you know after i mean it was after everything was said and done there's nothing you can do i was just like okay how are we going to do this for joshua to visit with you and um and how close did kelsey's parents live to sonora is this what maybe oh, is this were, the inst- instigation for them moving up there? Do you think that? Oh yeah, oh okay. yeah, definitely. And I kind of understood that at the time. I went, well, this is her first pregnancy. She wants to be around her family. They all live up there in San Andreas, which is a small town close to Sonora. And um, you know, so I accepted that, and we figured out ways that Troy would see Troy, uh, Joshua. And um, they did come down after the baby was born. Uh, I went up there a couple times, but I didn't bring Joshua with me when he when the baby was just an infant. Um, but then um, they came down in October and stayed for a few days. And then I went back up there. Um, oh, I went back up there for Thanksgiving, but I didn't take Joshua with me. Um, I stayed at her parents' house. So I got to know them more and I thought that we bonded <laughs> and um and then I went back up or he I went back up there December nineteenth and brought Joshua with me. This is and, once again in yeah, two thousand fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. Yes, but it was about three weeks before Troy went missing. And we had a great time. I mean, Joshua just loves his dad and we went to the snow and you know we had we had a good time it was really nice and I didn't think I've you know thought um, Kelsey was really good for Troy and they were good parents and their house was really clean and you know very brightly decorated and they had a Christmas tree and it was just nice you know so but when I left Joshua cried a lot and that would be the last time he would see his dad. So overall, when you were going up there those times, however many times it was, you saw them, you thought things were going decently well. Like you said, you got to meet Kelsey's parents. You even stayed at their place. Um, things uh, were going pretty well. However, uh, you did have a couple stories, maybe one from Thanksgiving uh, that you told me about. Maybe you'd like to tell the listeners. And then there was a conversation that you had with Troy not long before he disappeared. Um, maybe he had some reservations about being up there. Maybe you can tell the listeners about those two stories. 
Yeah. Um, so Troy, I went up there for Thanksgiving about a few days later. Troy called me and said, you know, Mom, or no, I'm sorry, it's about a week later. He called me. We've been up here for three weeks staying with her parents. And he goes, I don't want to be here. He goes, um, I I said, wow, that's really odd. And because they have a house in Sonora. It's a beautiful house. It's big. It's their home. And he said, I asked Kelsey if we could go home. And she said, no, she wanted to stay there and be with her family. And so he said to me, mom, you know, if it was the other way around, I would go with Kelsey. I would go home with her. She's my wife. You know, he goes, I'm really disappointed. And so he asked if he could come to Santa Cruz and stay with me for a bit. And um, it ended up that he did leave. She stayed there with her parents. He went back to the house for a few days. And How'd he get back there? Now this is, her father drove him down. She, he said, I'm going to take a bus. And her, Kelsey said, no, you're not. My dad's going to drive you home. How, how is that? How is that being in the truck with him? And he said, well, it was really uncomfortable. He was really angry. And um, so um, then he said, but I was talking to her older brother, and he was really helping me out. And then what happened was um, he did go back up there. And, you know, went and stayed with them. And then they came home, finally. So, I don't remember. So, there was a lot of, back and, lot of back and forth. So, what he's saying is that yeah. he and Kelsey essentially went and lived with her parents for three weeks, even though they had a house exactly. 45 minutes away. Uh, Troy doesn't yeah. is starting to feel like he shouldn't be there, that they should go back to their house. He tells you about it. The father drives him back. The father's not happy then. But then, eventually, somehow, Troy ends up going back to the parents' house. Right. Yeah, and and then, what, while he was there for a couple of days, he told me, I'm going to go talk to my neighbor. And we got to talking to the neighbor after Troy went missing. And the neighbor said Troy didn't like it up there because they all drank and did drugs. And he wanted to be, and he's really working hard to stay in recovery. Although, I, I don't know if I said this to you, he did not have a driver's license. Mm -hmm. And it was his vehicle that was that she had. Um, that he bought and through his VA money. And um, so he didn't have a vehicle. So I guess the dad came back down and picked him up and they went back. But I'm sure the father yeah. was more than happy to do that since he didn't like Troy leaving in the first place. Yeah. Probably. Exactly. probably. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I what do we say? When, please. Oh, I do. I want to say, I thought, well, she has a new baby. Maybe that's what's going on, you know. But um, I have to say that when Troy went missing, neither Kelsey nor her parents um, talked to me. <laughs> they didn't call me. I mean, Kelsey did because I asked her to call me. She's the one that told me he was missing. But she never was involved in looking for Troy. She did file a report missing persons report that was good but she never ever helped out at all they finally get back to their house whatever day that was you know they stop living at the parents house but some point we get to january 13th 2016 
What, what do you know about that day? What have you been told by Kelsey? Uh, what happened? Well, I do know that a, a couple things right before that. The weekend before Troy went missing, some friends from Santa Cruz that Troy really liked, it was a family, came up and they went and played in the snow. They had pictures on Facebook. Like, we loved them. Um, you know, we had so much fun but on both sides, on both Facebook pages for both families. And so things were really well. I have pictures of Troy that day, and that's the last pictures I have of him. And then the next day, he went to see a counselor through the VA because he was, you know, staying with his medication and all that. And she, and she called me later after he went missing and said um, that she was calling because Troy's mailbox was full and she needed to change an appointment. And I said, well, when was the last time you saw Troy? And she said, um, January 11th. And so I said, well, how is he doing? She said, he's doing really good. That's why we changed the appointment till later on. We started having bigger gaps than when we'd see each other. So apparently things were really good. And then on the day that he went missing, um, Kelsey told me that they went to Walmart and got groceries. That's the day they get paid. And they went and um, and that night, um, they she was cooking dinner and Troy was um, down in the bathroom and he was there for a while and she went down and she said she caught him using and they took off running and he was not wearing a jacket. It was probably I don't know. It was really cold. It was January 13th in Sonora where there's snow and. Um, I guess he did take his phone and his wallet, um, but he just took off, and that was the last time she saw him, and that was a story she gave me. So she goes to see the counselor, and the counselor says, yeah, he's doing great, but you don't find out about this till after he disappears. Um, right. So did Kelsey do anything when he ran off? Did she try to find him? Did she, did she, is there any records of her no. calling her parents? And, and in fact... Uh, she didn't oh, even no. no. She didn't even tell no. you that the Troy the Troy ran off until two days later. Exactly. She text messaged me. Um, I hate to tell you this, but Troy relapsed and I, he hasn't come home. And I went, "Can I call you?" And I called her and talked to her on the phone, which almost all of our communications from then on was text message. She rarely would talk to me on the phone, and her parents never talked to me. And that was odd because I thought that we were friends, um, but they I thought that was very odd that they wouldn't even, like we both, my husband and I both tried to call them um, and get them on the phone to talk to them, you know, just to express our, you know, that we were sorry that this happened to their daughter and that Troy's missing and... Uh, we're looking for them and, you know, and they never would, they would never pick up. They never returned the call. And finally, after about three weeks, um, Rich got a hold of them and they said, we're really sorry this is happening. That's all they said. I mean, they didn't say we're looking for Troy, <laughs> nothing. So that's when Troy, Rich and I decided to put out posters about Troy missing. Yeah, you did say that. Did Kelsey file a missing persons report at some point? Yes, yeah, she she talked to me 
two days later, and she said, I'm going to go to the police department and file a missing persons report. And so she did, and uh, she did, unfortunately, file the missing persons report with the Sonora Police Department, but you can file missing persons reports anywhere, and they have to take it. So they were supposed to send that out to the Sonora Sheriff's Department, Tuolumne County Sheriff's Department, but they didn't. They sat on it. Somehow it didn't get somewhere. Neither agencies are taking responsibility for what happened with that. But it was uh, lost in the ozone for a couple of, uh, almost, I'd say, at least a month. And that should have never happened. And the way it got uh, the attention to Tuolumne Sheriff's Department was I called to find out about the case. After Kelsey wasn't doing anything, I got really frustrated. said, hey, I'm going to, this is my son, you know, I'm going to look for him. And um, so I called them to get the, you know, get all the stats and everything. And, and I did get a copy of the uh, missing per- person's report. And it did say that um, Troy is uh, not high risk. I can't remember the wording, but that he's at risk uh-huh. because of his dr- drug and his mental health issues. And um, so somehow it didn't get processed. And... So then I called Tuolumne Sheriff's Department, and they said, oh, no, it's Sonora. I went back and forth four times, and I finally got, I was even laughing. I went, hey, look, you guys, I just want to find out about my son. Where is the case? And they called me back the next day and had the case at the Tuolumne Sheriff's Department. So... Um, let's go back a little bit. What kind of area did Kelsey and Troy live in? What kind of community? Would you say it's out in the woods? Is it isolated? Do they have next door neighbors? What kind of uh, community did they live in? And, you know, I'm asking this because, well, if he ran out the door, is there a possibility that somebody would have seen him or anything like that? Um, they lived in, it was rural area, but they lived where houses were pretty much next to each other in a community. It wasn't a gated community, but they had uh, a man-made lake there that they would have a key to and only the people there could go. And they had a, you know, they had a, a, one of the, like a rec house or something. And then they had a gym that they had. So it was kind of like that. It was a, the houses were close together. Um, so his neighbors knew him and they liked him. And, um, but we were told later when my friends and I started looking at looking around and finding out what happened, we were told that there was, um, something happened that night down by the lake. Um, there was a commotion with dogs and all that. And, um, Mm -hmm. we found out after the, we did get a detective who was really on the case and he was really good. Um, and he got talked to all the neighbors. He interviewed everybody and, um, he found out that there was something that happened down by the lake that, um, one of the neighbors and we got to talk to those two people too. When we were up there another time, what was the commotion? What does that mean? What does that, should that mean to the listeners, a commotion down by the lake? it was around the same time that Troy went missing. And so they never looked into it for at least six months 
they never interviewed the neighbors until this new guy came on in August of 2016. Mm-hmm. He's the one that started interviewing and looking, he told me, a, new, a fresh pair of eyes. And he interviewed the neighbors, and they said that there was somebody out by the lake, by their house, and one of the dogs attacked this person. And they said, um, you know, they the dog didn't have blood on its mouth, though. And they heard splashing. And then they heard someone say, some people were out on their dock or something, say, are you okay? And the person said, yeah. And then that was it. That was all that. That was all the information. And would this have been, could these people who saw this person, would they be able to identify it? Did they know if it was a man or a woman? Um, Could it be that that was Troy? Would they, did these people know Troy? Did they know what he looked like? No, they were across the lake. They didn't know Troy, but they called the, they called 911 and they, the sheriff did come out, but nothing got connected at all. Nothing. So, um, not until later. So, but they, I, I talked to both the women whose houses that happened to, and they were very supportive of us. They really were very kind. And um, anyway, so the, our detective searched the lake with sonar, robots, and divers. And I didn't know about it until it was almost halfway over. Um, he called me at work and told me that he needed to tell me that they were doing that because. Um, the media found out that they were doing that. And then one of the neighbors, a couple, they're the President Homeowners Association, they went down and sat because they knew that's what they were doing that day. It was in September of 2016. At the time that Troy disappeared, he disappears January 13th, 2016. At that time, I know there was some paperwork going back and forth and some disagreements about whose responsibility it was. Did the police take dogs out there with like within the first month? No. Anything like no. that? No. Are I you know. telling me that the first search that was done for Troy in no. that entire area was on that lake like six months later yes. or whatever? Yes. Okay. And I asked them several times about the dogs. Can we get dogs out there? Several times. But, I mean, and I even talked to the woman who works for him who has a dog. She has her dogs and. So, you know, she contacts with them, uh, search and rescue. I talked to her, and she said, I can't do anything unless they okay it. And every time I asked them about it, even, to, even up until a month ago, they told me the story about these dogs that missed a dead body one time. And they tell me the same story every time. Well, we don't really trust the dogs. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I even had a friend who was willing to come from back east with his dog. It was a tracking dog, but it just never happened. Never. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I always wanted it to happen, but it didn't happen. So, Are you absolutely positive, given that it was all this time later, are you absolutely positive that this commotion down by the lake happened on the exact same day that Troy disappeared on January 13th? Are you positive about that? I'm not, I'm not positive, but the detectives do feel that that is right. So. Okay. Okay. I, you know, I mean, it seems like, because I talked to the guy that was, um, he does all the maintenance of the lake. I talked with him at one point, and um, 
we've gone up there several times and talked to all the people around here. We've mm. done our own, you know, detective mm. work. And he said that that night there was a big commotion. So. And we have to remember that this was only not even two years ago. You know, a lot of the cases that I right. cover on this program go back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. This is one of the more recent disappearances that I've covered on the program. So this is not even two years ago. I, I'm sure there could be some way that, you know, those 911 calls are saved. You could actually go and find what day that call actually was. No, no, I didn't know that. You know, they know the date oh. and the time and everything. So that might be something you want to think about to verify yeah. that that's the perfect way, I think, to yeah. verify that the commotion and Troy's disappearance were on the same day. I think that's very important at this time. Yeah, it is. And then another thing is that this young guy who's a year older than Troy looked a lot like him, very good looking. Um, he went missing three weeks after Troy went missing up um, in the same area, not the same not the same living area, but he went missing in Sonora. Um, and he hasn't been found either. Um, mm -hmm. And they had the military, they had helicopters, they had dogs, they had everything. And I remember asking, we've had three detectives already on this case. They rotate. And uh, we, we lost a good one. He went off into another agency. So... Um, but they, this new detective of ours said, well, I asked them, how come they got all that? Why didn't Troy get that? They said, well, they had connections. That's what he told me. Mm. I was like, okay. Uh, one more thing and one more point about that day that he disappeared. And we're going to move into some things that have gone on since. What can you tell the listeners about the butt dial that Kelsey said happened after Troy went out the door? Yeah, um, Kelsey, when I talked to her the day she um, notified me that Troy was missing, she said that, um, she said, well, I don't know why he didn't come home. And I said, well, why didn't you call me like a couple days ago? And she said, I didn't want you to worry. But she said, I, he did, he did a butt call which his number came up and I, um, I, I kept yelling, Troy, Troy. And all I could hear was moaning and groaning, and then it went off. And so uh, we did ask her, we um, did ask the detectives, can you get those phone records? Can you get the uh, bank records? And we've asked over and over. And at one point with the good detective, we did um, get, she did bring in records, but they were only partial. He said, oh, no, they're only partial. They it, They didn't help, so... And how long did she say that Kelsey, uh, that this phone, did Kelsey say that this phone call happened or this butt dial after Troy went out the door? How long after? Do you know? I, you know, she said it was that night. So I don't, she never get it. I, I assume it was soon thereafter, but I don't know. I really, it was that night. Um, and I do want to tell you one thing. We did talk about the lake, how they looked in the lake. Mm -hmm. this, this is our good detective. I said to him, did you ever tell Kelsey about you searching the lake? And he went, nope, I never did. So at that point in time, they were, she was, they were suspicious of her. Um, so they didn't even tell her because she never called the, she wouldn't talk to the detective. She didn't call him asking about the case, nothing. I was the one that was doing everything. 
And she didn't even put, we had a poster we asked her here, here's a poster, you want to put it up somewhere? She finally put it up on her, her um, Facebook page. And when people saw it, this is at least three months after Troy went missing, um, they said, oh, we didn't even know, I'm so sorry. All the people that commented on it were surprised that Troy was missing. So, Kelsey, this is her husband who disappears, and she's not even telling anybody that he disappeared. No, and she's not. And then when we went up there in June to look around and talk to the neighbors, the neighbors said, um, we said, well, we have a poster of Troy. Here's a poster. And they said, oh, we didn't know he was still missing. So they knew he had been missing at first, but then they thought that he had come back. They didn't even know. For some reason, for some reason they yeah. thought that. Okay, so we don't know when the butt dial happened. And in fact, to this point, almost two years later, we have no proof that that butt dial ever happened because Kelsey, right. the phone records she has turned in are incomplete at best. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I don't know why they never subpoenaed her her records. I don't understand that at all. Did you say something to me in our prior conversation about how uh, – the phone went off after 30 minutes or something like that? Yes. That was part of the good detective. <laughs> part of his determination was that the phone went off 30 minutes after my friend and I were up in Sonora with, you know, having a meeting with the detectives and we just looked at each other. Like, what? And then he said, yes, absolutely. His phone went off 30 minutes after he went missing. And mm-hmm. and then the new detective that we got, we asked him about that. And he goes, no, that couldn't have happened. How would they know that? And then recently we asked him about it. He said, yes, the phone went off 30 minutes after he went missing. So I pretty much believe that. All right. So the new guy that uh, I guess the listeners already know you don't care for as much as the, the good detective, you yeah. keep referring to him, yeah. uh, kind of changed yeah. his story regarding those 30 minutes. Right. Okay. This, this, we had a meeting with the new guy in October and it was horrible. I had brought my, um, Joshua, my grandson's grandmother, who has been very active in looking for Troy, is, uh, at one point she was, her job was to walk downtown Santa Cruz and talk to all the homeless people, get them resources for, get them help with veterans. And she would walk on the levee which is where the drug addicts go. And she would hand out little flyers and all kinds of stuff and never um, found out about Troy. But she came up with me and she, and my other friend, Jill. They um, both watched this guy, this new detective, just was so prejudiced towards Kelsey because she passed a polygraph test. Finally, they did one after mm-hmm. a year and a half. But... Um, you had said earlier that the neighbors didn't even know that Troy was missing. Maybe they knew that he went missing, but they didn't realize he hadn't come back. You mentioned that uh, even some of Kelsey's friends on Facebook, for example, didn't know that Troy disappeared. But there is this strange story that one of the neighbors thought that he saw Troy at Troy and Kelsey's house sometime after Troy disappearing. What can you tell? When did that happen? And can you relay that conversation to the listeners? 
Well, what happened was we went up there June 16th, 2016, and we were talking to all the neighbors. We were just kind of looking around, like showing Joe where they lived, and the neighbors came out. And so um, I showed them the poster, and the one couple that the one couple that went down to the lake and sat down there while they looked for Troy. She said, oh, I didn't know Troy was still missing. And Jill and I just looked at each other like, what? And then I took the poster up to another neighbor. They're all law enforcement. They're all um, retired law enforcement. I took it up to the uh, other guy, Justin, and I said, he said, oh, yeah, I saw Troy the other day. And I went, what? And I said, is this Troy? Is this the person you saw? And I showed him the picture of Troy. He goes, oh, no, no, no. That wasn't him. And I was like, okay. And so then we found out that um, she had, she was moving out and she had another male with her moving stuff out. We had also um, seen a picture on Facebook about two weeks or three weeks after Troy went missing and she's with this other guy and uh, with some other people. There were several people in the picture. But, um, and then during the summer, we have pictures of her camping with him, and they look like a couple. So. And this would have been like six months after Troy disappeared? Yes, exactly. And, and technically. Oh, and when I went. Please, please. When I went to the one year birthday party, that's the first time I talked to Kelsey's parents. When I went to Hope's one year birthday party, that guy was there and he has a filled in teardrop under his eye and I went, What is he doing at a one year old birthday party? I mean there were forty five people there. It was a big party. It was out at a park, but I just he seemed to be he was never I was never introduced to him. I did notice him and I just thought, Wow And then later on I looked at my pictures like a year later I was looking at pictures that I took at the party, and he was in several pictures in the background because he was hovering around Kelsey, and he was um, sitting, in one of the pictures, he was sitting next to her dad. Yes, and you've sent me some of those pictures. I've seen some of those pictures. Uh, We know this guy's uh, name. We're not going to use his last name, but his name is Shane, correct? Yeah, correct. Okay. So you have this neighbor. Did you ever deduce from the neighbor? Was that just a misunderstanding that he thought it was Troy? Or is it more maybe something more sinister that Kelsey was a guy was with a guy who represented himself as Troy? Have you ever gotten to the bottom of that? Why that neighbor thought it was Troy? Um, I believe that he thought it was Troy. But once he saw the posters, he said, no, and what that's not who I saw. And so one of the neighbors said that they talked, this is hearsay though, I must say, I have to say that. One of the neighbors said they talked to um, somebody there that lived in the neighborhood and they wanted to talk to, they were talking to the guy and they, he said, oh, you'll have to talk to my wife. So, and it was not Troy. It was not Troy. So some guy was in the neighborhood with Kelsey, referring to as his wife, and it wasn't Troy. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, that's hearsay. That's Very kind true. of all right. That's like a, a yeah. story uh, from a friend, from a friend, from a friend that you found that out. So right. 
But it was, you know, it could have been her brother-in-law. I don't know. But, it, you know, I don't know. Okay. But she did have pictures with this guy that August, which was just a month and a half later, camping with him and looked like they were a couple. There was two, there was three couples together camping and they were drinking and stuff. So, Which means that Kelsey, who is in rehab, should be staying away from that stuff, which means she's probably off. Oh, she's probably right. relapsed, right? Right, right. Okay. Um, technically, are Kelsey and Troy still married? Yes, to my knowledge. Uh, I've never been told otherwise, and I don't. I I don't know how long it is that they're missing. That they have to, um, you know, that they can do that. I don't. To, to my knowledge, they're still married. Okay. Now, at some point, Kelsey uh, did move out. When was that? And do you know, did this house get sold? What happened? And did anybody ever go into the house and check it out afterwards to see if there was, for example, new carpeting or new painting on a wall or anything like that? Anybody check it? Um, yes. Uh, what happened was she moved out July 1st, um, fully moved out. Um, I did have the landlord's phone number. Um, they, the landlord liked them, but um, some other guy moved in. And when we we have these, we've had our second annual missing persons awareness day in Tuolumne. They have 25 people missing right now that they haven't solved. And so we started this in 2016 myself and other people who have missing um, family members. And so, and I told Kelsey about it, and she didn't come. So, um, but I was the house ever checked after Kelsey moved yes. out? Yes, our good detective started interviewing people up there, and uh, went and asked the people that had moved in there if he, they could look around. And these people, well, the guy was actually a detective himself um, from Santa Cruz, which was kind of cool. And he let them go in and look around. They looked in crawl spaces. They looked back in the yard for shallow graves. And they did notice that there was um, the front door. So I was there three weeks before they went missing and the front door was fine. But they did notice that the front door was kicked in and something kicked in from the outside. So something, something, something. And they... Um, took pictures of it. They have pictures in their file, but I think the door has been fixed since then. And other people, there's been two other families that have moved in there since then. When you were at the birthday party, Kelsey had you take some stuff. This would have been June of 2016. Kelsey had you take some of Troy's stuff back. The box. Yeah, she, she came up to me at the very end of the party, I was, we had driven three hours up and back, and I was, you know, really tired. I had Joshua with me, and we were leaving, and I was saying goodbye to her, and I had actually given her a check for some money, and then I gave her a hug, and while I was hugging her, she said, can you go get Troy's stuff? It's at my dad's house. And so when I, the next day, when I went through everything, I found um, that, that she sent back all his clothes, everything, 
and she sent back um, the wedding presents that I had given them. Two, two of them. Um, one of them was a wonderful picture that I got from a friend who had been in China, and this artist in China had painted it. It was two lovebirds, and it was framed. And so I still have those, and another a clock, a grandfather clock that you put on the wall. Um, that, that was there too. Did she offer any explanation for this? And we do have to keep in mind that she did eventually move out herself. So maybe yeah. this, these were things that she didn't want to take uh, with her or something. Right. But I'm also wondering, why did you have to go to her father's place to pick this stuff up? Why wasn't this stuff at where Troy and Kelsey lived? Oh, because she had already... Oh, actually, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So Troy, that you had to go pick this stuff stuff up at Troy, at her father's house, not at yeah. where Troy's, where all this stuff originally was. Right. That's interesting because that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's something you can look into now after we're done with the interview. Yeah. I guess I didn't know that that question yeah. was going to take us in that direction. Okay. Um. Yeah. So that's a little strange. Uh, you got something to look into there. Probably um, when I was up there in June 16th or so, she wrote back to me and said, because um, she was still moving out, there's a bunch of Troy stuff out here. She got mad at me for going up there to talking to the neighbors. She got really angry, and she used the F word a lot. And, and so she said, well, if you're going to come back up here, then there's stuff under the deck that's Troy's. So... And she had told me that she gave me everything, and now there's stuff. But I felt like she was setting me up, so I didn't go. I didn't go pick it up. I thought, you know, I got a lot of stuff of choice. I'm not going to go. I didn't want her to be, you know, there and start screaming at me, so I didn't. Tell the listeners about your experience uh, talking with uh, Dateline, and how did Kelsey react to that? So I wasn't going to tell. So they called me in December. They did a, a phone conversation. Let's with just me. be careful with this again. Told, we need we need to use dates in months and years. De- December 2016. Okay. December. Yes. December 2016. They called and did a phone interview with me. And, you know, and I um, they said that they were going to do um, a show on Lacey Peterson, Scott Peterson, Sharon Rocha. And she requested that they highlight some of the Sharon Rocha requested that they highlight some of the missing persons that were in that area. Um, so they did, they called, um, five of us and did interviews. And, um, so they, I didn't know for sure if it was going to happen. So then they called me like February, a month later, February something, the actual interview was on February 12th. So they called me and said that they were going to do it. And they said, um, they emailed me and they said, uh, where do you live? And I said, I live in Santa Cruz. And then they wrote back, well, oh, you live in Santa Cruz because everybody else lives in Sonora. And then I wrote back and I said, well, I'll drive up there. I, you know, for my friend, I'll drive up there. So I did. I drove up and we had the interview. So I, I suggested why don't we do the interview in front of Troy's old house where he lived? And 
Um, and then we can go down by the lake where they searched the lake. And um, so they said, okay, that sounds good. So I thinking I was doing the right thing, called because I had the landlord's phone number. I called and um, to tell him that we were going to be filming there just for his his tenants not to get worried or anything. Little did I know, I thought there was going to be these big boom cameras and all that. They just used a regular camera. It was really, I shouldn't have even called him, but I did. And he, he, you know, got, he called Kelsey and told her. And I wasn't going to tell her until after it was over with because I, A, I didn't want her to be part of it. And because she doesn't look for Troy. And B, um, because I knew she'd get really upset and start screaming at me. And so I wanted it to go off well. So she ended up calling Dateline, screaming at them, telling them she's going to bring her lawyer. And she left me this voicemail that was terrible. I was just, you know, I I gave it to the um, Tuolumne sheriffs, and they have it in the file. And um, she was just saying that she doesn't want anything on TV about any of that. You know, she doesn't want to be on you know, any of that to be your junkie, she's calling him a junkie and your junkie son and all this stuff. And then and then the dateline called me and said, Hey, this woman called us what's your relationship with her? And I said, Well, not very good right now and um they said, Well we we're concerned so we called the sheriff's department to see what we should do and then the sheriff's department called me and said, well, you know, she's really angry. She's going to show up there. So I called one of my friends who had a missing son, and she invited me to come up there and do the filming there. And Dateline was fine with that. It was great. It worked out. Kelsey doesn't know this woman. She doesn't know where she lives. So it worked out really well. And I've watched the video, and it's, you know, the Dateline did with you, and it was about two minutes long or, or something like that. Um, yeah. And you also allowed me to listen to, I don't know how many voice messages there are, and I, I'm not sure I'm entitled to know that, but uh, you did allow me to listen to one of them. And it yeah. is pre- the, the message is very ugly. Very. Yes. N- uh, not, uh, it was more than her just not wanting Troy's story to not be featured on D- Dateline NBC. She went after Troy, and she went after you as well. Per- very personal yes. stuff. Very personal yeah. yes for about yes. two and a half minutes or something like that yes okay. thank you thank you and yeah. i should you know here and i should say for the record here she is calling troy junkie it sounds to me like she was totally on something when she called you right i don't know her i don't know what i guess her regular voice sounds like but she was either high or very drunk or something like that when she called you there's no, not any doubt in right my mind. not any doubt in my mind right Right, me too. I agree. Okay. Um, tell the listeners about what is Disciples of Odin. Oh, I oh, so I there is a picture of her on Facebook. Before she blocked me, I got to see everything. She ended up blocking me, um, but anyway, so there was a picture of her at this birthday party. And it was with all those people, the guy and the disciples of Odin. It's a Norse god. And they are some motorcycle club. But I checked with um, Troy's father. 
because Troy's father was in the Vietnam Vets Motorcycle Club, and they're pretty much know about all these clubs. Um, he said they were pretty low on the totem pole, I guess. But they were doing, I looked at some of the videos that they, they also do videos. They, they're gamers. And so they do videos. And um, I looked at some of them, and all of them that I looked at were bad guys killing cops, like shootouts, being in shootouts, like robberies. And then they would, you know, that was the games. And I went, oh, my God. See, all these little things kept building up. And I kept going, oh, my God, this is really weird. And but, Kelsey uh, is in this group. She's in this Facebook page or Facebook group. And is yeah. this and is this guy Shane uh, in this group as yeah. well? And do you even know if those two yeah. are together or friends I, anymore? I don't think they're together anymore because there is a picture of her with some new guy camping this summer. So, um I don't, uh, no, I don't think so. But he was with her until Halloween, at least, because there's pictures of him and her and the kids. So I've done a lot of detective work. And I, I know, I know you have. Fine. I know you have. Yeah. But that adds another element into this. Did, had you ever heard of Kelsey or Troy? being in this group all the times you talked to Troy or went up there or anything, did this Disciples of Odin no. thing ever come up at any time? No. No. Never. Not at all. Okay. Troy, wouldn't, Troy didn't like motorcycle groups. He didn't like his dad's motorcycle group. So, okay. And he didn't ride a motorcycle either. So he, right. no. Okay. Yep. So I don't know what, I, I'm not saying that this group or this, if it's an actual recognized motorcycle gang and we've covered at least one violent motorcycle gang on a previous episode of unfound the outlaws i'm not sure this group is like the hell's angels or anything but people can go to the page and make the decision for themselves um one other item that i think is very um i think the listeners and people can learn a lot from this and then we're going to go into what uh is going on in kelsey's life recently but here she was. She left you this at least one nasty message uh, like that uh, that we already talked about. But then not long after that, she wanted to get together with you. She actually wanted to come down, I guess, near to your area to meet. What can you right. tell? What can tell? What can you tell the listeners about that interesting conversation? Okay, so it was actually a text message again. Okay, um, but. Okay, so our interview was on February 12th. She texted me the next Friday, which was a four-day weekend because it was President's Day weekend. And um, she texted me. This is when we were having um, really bad rains. This one major highway was closed on and off all week. Um, There was a hurricane warning that day. Um, in Santa Cruz, which we never get hurricanes, but there was a warning. It didn't happen, but it was really, the weather was horrible. And, and um, she texts me, oh, Jill, my friend Jill, is a different Jill, um, the one who paid for the wedding. She uh, is bringing me down to Santa Cruz if you want to see Hope. And I, that's all she said. And I, it freaked me out because I really felt like I was being set up. I didn't know if I was being, I really, part of me thought I might be being set up for violence. And then 
but part of me thought it was at least that she was going to start screaming at me and telling me, um, you know, all the stuff about Troy. And I didn't need that or want that. I'm not going to put myself in that position. So I ended up staying with my friend, Jill, the good Jill. I call her the good Jill. Mm. And staying with her for three or four days because I was too worried to stay at my house because I figured that she would come to my house because she knows where it is. And then um, my friend, um, the other grandma to Joshua, she's my friend too, Rayanne came over and set up cameras at the house. So got it, you know, got it all set up and that's what we did. So it's very scary. And when, so the, when the office... Please, please I was continue. Say, when the detective recently said, yeah, Kelsey tried to, when she passed this polygraph test, Kelsey tried to get you to see um, Hope at one time and you wouldn't come. And, I, and I'm thinking, I was so shocked at his all his statements that I was like, what? It made me like, oh my God, I was scared. I was, my friends know how I felt, you know? And then, so anyway. So are you saying that this text was around the time that she took the the lie detector test? Oh, no. She didn't take the lie detector test for until like a month ago. Oh, okay. When I got that, when the FBI got involved, they showed them different things to do. And he, the detective, at the end of our our conversation in October, when I went up there, he said to me, yeah, you went over the, my head to get the, the FBI to get in here because you didn't want me working on the case. That's what he said to me. And I went, no, I didn't. I said, I just wanted them to help you guys out. You, they have more resources than you have. So we have this weird detective. He's very odd. But anyway, <clears throat> so. Well, getting back to her text, you know, but I guess this would have been February of this year, February 2017, not long after yeah. the whole Dateline uh, show. So she's, you yeah. know, she's uh, really going after you in a message. But then not long after that, she texts you as if that never happened and wants to meet coming down to Santa Cruz. Do you know, to your knowledge, did she ever come down to the Santa Cruz area anyway? I don't know for sure. I do. I did see a picture on Facebook um, that even though she blocked me, I had ways to see that, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't want to tell. Um, and did no. she ever, after that text, say something like, you know, it's too bad we couldn't get, I was down there for the day. It's too bad we couldn't get together. Anything like that? No. 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 Uh, I want the listeners to take note of this because the the um, subject of luring has come up on this program before in several cases that Unfound is covered. In fact, it's a very common element of disappearances. When people are lured to go places and do things, you know, they're just sitting at home and suddenly they get a call or a text, hey, come on over. I want you to, you know, take a look at this and hey, let's get together. This is a perfect example of this. Um, I don't know what would have gone on had you gone along with that text or anything, but I think the best decision you made was to not go. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I'm glad that you uh, foresaw that. I'm glad that you noticed that. that it just seems something was weird to you. Um, this is what this is a perfect example of luring and using your granddaughter as bait. Yes. 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 Yeah. 
I have a, a reason to believe that had you gone along with her and you, she'd say, yeah, come meet me at this McDonald's or something in Santa Cruz. I have the idea that if you got there, that either it wouldn't have been her or she would have been with other people. Let's just leave it at that. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure of that. So yeah. for the listeners, we've talked about luring before on this show. This is a perfect example of that. If you are involved, if somebody you who you know disappears and you suddenly you know something and somebody calls you or texts you out of the blue to meet you somewhere, don't go. Don't go. Yeah. All right. Now, recently, what's going on in Kelsey's life within the last few months? What can you tell the listeners about that? She got arrested for a grand theft of a trailer. And um, she's been in the court system. Apparently, she's got a decent lawyer, which her family has no money. I don't know. I'm believing that Jill, her friend Jill, is probably paying for it. I'm just guessing. Um, But she and another guy put this trailer that they had stolen on Facebook and the owner saw it. So they called the cops and the cops did a sting. And so she's in the court system and they haven't, she's supposed to go to trial on December 8th. Yeah. So a little over a year from when she got arrested. Mm -hmm. So December 8th of 2017, that's going to come to trial. I guess that, um, I, I guess that the the wheels of justice turn slowly in California, even for the simple th- theft of a of a trailer. Um, did you was well, how did you find out about this? First of all, how did you find out? How I found out about it is I have a lot of friends in Sonora now, and one of my friends, um, Sandy, uh, had a work with someone who knows Kelsey. And she saw it in the paper. Everyone saw it in the paper up there. There was a bunch of little towns up there. Like, that was the big news. So she told Sandy, and Sandy called me a couple days later. That's how I found out about it. And then I started reading all the articles about it. <clears throat> so she was with another guy. It wasn't the, it wasn't Shane. It was some other guy. So. And they're going to trial together, I guess. I, they, if I look up her case number... He has a different case number, but I'm not sure how that's working. And you and I have talked uh, in our previous conversation a couple in a couple emails back and forth about some things uh, that you could be doing regarding her coming to trial, but I don't think we want to put those out in the air. Okay, mm-hmm. we're just going to no. leave those off the record for now. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. To your knowledge, has she ever stolen anything before? Uh, with Troy, before Troy, did, are you aware if she has any felonies on her criminal record, anything like that? Well, I do know by be, getting into the portal up there that in 2012, and that's why she was um, came down to Santa Cruz, she was arrested on, um, it was a felony, um, trafficking, uh, sales, possession, and under the controlled substance. I think it was OxyContin. I'm not positive about that, but it was one of those. And that's what sent her down to Santa Cruz to go to rehab. Cause they, I got to even read all the letters that people sent in to, on her behalf. But um, so that's what I know. I don't know. She had told me at one point when she was using, this is when she was in recovery. 
she told me that she was around a lot of really bad people. And the way she said bad, she really meant bad. Mm. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. So that happened before she and Troy met. Yeah. And part of her recovery or part of her sentence maybe was going to rehab down near yeah. where you lived. And that's how yeah. she and Troy met. Okay, so she is yeah. at least a little familiar with the criminal justice system. Yes. Okay, we do have to, although we've obviously pointed some fingers at, at Kelsey and some sp- suspicious things, uh, we also have to be open to the idea, given Troy's history of mental illness, needing a medication for it, that maybe he had a, a, a psychotic break or something like yeah. that. Maybe this argument with that maybe did happen with Kelsey triggered something in him and he took off. Um, what can you say about that? And where do you think that he might have gone? Or what do you think about that? That. Well, um, what I think about it is it's one scenario that could have happened and that I'm very open to that. It gives me a little hope that I might see my son's son again someday. Um, it's possible. It's very possible. I didn't, I want to tell, I tell this kind of real short story. Um, when I was in Hawaii this last summer, with my daughter-in-law who loves me <laughs> and my son, they told me a story about this guy in Maui who walked up and down the highway. who didn't know who he was and did that for 10 years. And finally someone found out that he, he would, he wouldn't talk to people that finally someone got to talking to him and found out he didn't know who he was and they got him back home and he lived in Oregon. He, um, had a wife and kids. He was in the army. He was an accountant. And so that is one of the stories that I can think of, you know, that could be possible. Um, Troy was a Marine. He knows how to survive. Um, he knows how to take care of himself. And uh, we didn't mention in this conversation that um, Troy has never touched any of his VA money at all. He's never used his social security number at all. This whole time, the FBI went and looked through everything and found out that he hasn't used his um, Social Security. And I talked to the fiduciary and the FBI went through the VA to see if he'd gotten any of his money and not not at all. So that is concerning. You know, it gets concerning. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it makes me confused sometimes, but I'm hopeful that that could be one of the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And he does have a history of running off. I mean, the the, the time yeah. that comes to mind, unfortunately, is when he was in the Marines. He just kind of took off and went back to California. Yeah. So yeah. and it, he and he's never gone more than three days or four days. Or, you know, he's he always calls me. Like I kept waiting at the first when he went missing. I waited for him to call me, and I didn't tell anyone he was missing for about a week because I thought he was going to come home. And I really believe Kelsey. And so there was that. I started telling everyone. Everybody was, you know, on it, helping me look for him. And I really believe that scenario that he just went off and he's doing drugs, you know. But Mm -hmm. this is not like Troy. And once again, I have to remember remind the listeners that this case is relatively new. Uh, January 2016. Not quite two years yet. 
And there are many stories about people who have gone missing and then been found two years later. You know, if this was, yeah. you know, if this happened instead of 2016, it happened in 1986, then there might be something else. Although there is a story out of New York just recently of a woman who was found after 40 some years who was still alive. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, wow. a that's a recent story. Yeah. So what's this been like, Nancy? You've been doing a lot. I mean, I've been talking to a lot of mothers of disappeared people uh, recently who are doing a lot, and you are one one of them. Going back and forth, talking to the police, and putting up posters. Uh, what's it been like? Almost the you know the last almost two years. Well, it's been like horrible. It's been, I feel like I'm being tortured, but I have a really good job that I love. I work with kids, and I'm a teacher, and I have really supportive friends, so that helps a lot. And when I'm being um, active and looking for Troy, it helps me a lot. It makes me feel like I'm doing something. It's for the love of my son. Um, so that gives me good feelings. And um, But then there's times, like right now, it's really hard because it's the holidays, and once again, there's you know, this is the second holiday I want to have with Troy, and or the second, yeah, second holiday. Um, so it's hard, you know. It's like, like I said, I feel like I'm being tortured at times, and I do. I pray, and you know, I believe in God, and I believe that God's there to give you strength, and I believe that's where a lot of my strength comes from. And, um, but I keep going, why, God, can't you help me? And then I hear stories like you just told me, and the people are looking forever. And then I get this feeling like this horrible feeling of, oh no, this could be the rest of my life, you know? But I also think about this little story when Troy was about two and a half or three, we were at the beach, and I was up on my blanket, and somebody was watching him down by the shore part. I mean, it was about far away. But I was laying down, and all of a sudden, I looked up, and he wasn't there. And I started, I started running, and for two minutes, I didn't know where my little boy was. And I, that's how I feel sometimes. I feel like that. Like I'm, I don't know, it's a mother's instinct to, you know, know where, even if he's an adult, you know, it's like your child that you brought into the world. And, I remember the first our first look together, you know, so it's like really hard. Yeah. Let the people know where information about Troy can be found. Um, I'm going to help you. I think I've already told you that I'm going to help you get Troy listed on tra- uh, the charlieproject.org site because he's not on there oh, right, right now. All right. So right. Uh, I always mention my friend Megan Good who runs the site. I talked to her this morning about making that happen. All right, because that's gonna so that'll put some more attention on his disappearance. But where else um, can Troy be found and you be found? Well, we have a Facebook page for him. It's called Missing Marine Troy Galloway, and that's where we also have a GoFundMe page, which I update not as much now, but I I do update it once in a while, and I do update the Missing Marine. Troy Galloway page all the time so there's always new pictures and and new information and so it's the best place to go okay 
And he is also listed on the missingveterans.com site, which I'm going to link to. People will uh, see his picture there as well. And uh, that's a site that everybody uh, should visit, not just on Veterans Day, but on any day of the year. How many of our veterans uh, have gone missing? It's, I mean, we already have a, as the entire population a disappearing problem. But within veterans who have disappeared and gone missing, it's even worse. You know, it's, it's yeah. even worse. And, and Troy is one of those yeah. people. Troy is one of them. Mm-hmm. Troy yep. is one of them. Yeah. Nancy, any last words before we conclude this interview? Well, I really appreciate all the people, including you, who do this work trying to find missing persons. I, I can't thank you enough. I think it's amazing that we have people like you all across the country. I've talked to many of them. I've written to them. I've gone on Facebook pages and it's just, it's just amazing. It really amazes me. And I'm very, very thankful. And I think uh, the families that have missing persons probably feel the same. My pleasure, Nancy. Uh, I know this is uh you know, a a very, you know, sad topic, you know, but I I can tell you that I I try to help all the guests uh, as much as I can through this program. I, I keep in contact with them, all of my guests going back to September, 2016. I call all of them friends and I hope that we can continue to uh, communicate in the future. I hope that I can continue to help you. Yes, that would be great for sure. Uh Yep. You're on my list. (laughs) All right. Great. Great. Thank you. Um, Nancy, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Nancy Galloway, mother of Troy Galloway. I thank her for being on the program. Troy's is a sad story like all the others Unfound has covered. And although I personally have no experience with drugs and addiction, and it's been a life goal to never have anything to do with them, I make no judgments regarding these people who have disappeared and what went on in their lives. All of their cases deserve to be known, and all of them deserve to be found. However, in going along with the theme for this episode, it does feel like the police, the media, and us, the public, have left these people behind. And it will continue to be Unfound's goal to publicize these missing persons cases so these families don't feel like their loved ones have been forgotten. The advantage Troy's case has is that it's still relatively new. There's still a lot to learn from people whose memories haven't begun to fade yet. Nancy and her team need to take advantage of this. I hope she continues her own work in finding out what happened to her son, and there is no better time than the present, and I will do anything I can to help her. So, what happened? I don't find Kelsey believable at all. The front door of the home having a door jam that looked like it had been kicked in. Many of Troy's possessions being at Kelsey's parents and not in his own home. The incomplete phone records she gave to police. The new guy in her life so soon. The Dateline voicemail that you'll just have to take my word on it. It was disgusting. Her trying to lure Nancy to meet after that ugly voicemail. Kelsey going to trial very soon for the theft of a trailer. It all doesn't look very good. And we also have to remember that Troy disappeared after expressing the desire to move back to Santa Cruz. On the other hand, Kelsey did pass a lie detector test. 
if that even means anything these days. And Troy did have his issues. Here's a question I have, though. How long can Kelsey continue to collect Troy's disability checks as long as he is missing? As long as he's not considered deceased, the checks will keep coming, right? Is that how it works? If so, that tells me a lot. But I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found this episode informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give the program a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.